With biblical clarity on the equal treatment of all people, here's Pastor Ed Ray. The Bible does not allow us to be prejudiced against any single person. And that's as strongly as I can say it and make it clear. All people must be treated equally. If you're struggling with prejudice, it's real simple. Confess it as sin. God, forgive me, change my heart. Some in our day, and more than perhaps many care to acknowledge, are treated unfairly. Now while we expect it in a world that's in opposition to God and His ways, it has no place in the church. It's an issue that had to be addressed in the first century, and it applies still today. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace. Our teacher, Pastor Ed Ray, is making his way through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. And chapter 5 of this pastoral epistle makes it clear we're to give honor to whom honor is due. Now, last time together, we began looking at those who were worthy of honor. What's exciting to discover is that some of the requirements that qualified them qualify you for honor as well. We begin today's teaching with one of those qualifications from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. Here's Pastor Ed. Wash the saints' feet. We're familiar with this concept because Jesus did that in John chapter 13 at the Last Supper. No one else would wash anybody else's feet, so the Master did well, that's the only other place in the New Testament that describes it there and here. The idea is that this woman, who was a widow, was willing to serve other people with menial tasks, really the, the job of a slave. And uh, she washed feet, relieved the afflicted uh, to aid, to give assistance to someone, to troubled people, maybe of her time, of her energy, of her finances, her own resources to help people. Uh, and she's already done it in the past, is the point. Diligently followed every good work. Literally, it says to tread in someone's footsteps, to be sensitive to other people's needs and to understand what they're going through. That whole thing about you need to walk a mile in another person's shoes, well, that's a Greek phrase that Paul is recording here. We're called to be sensitive to widows, and it's actually part of our Judeo-Christian legal system. The church today isn't put in exactly the same situation because we have received from the Bible, really, the concept for our laws of, of welfare and Social Security and Medicare and Medi-Cal. But this was before any of that was available, of course, and thus the basis for Paul talking about it. But refuse the younger widows, verse 11. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. Okay, so refuse younger women, younger than 60 years old. Don't allow them to make vows to remain single and devoted to only God's work. 
why the word to grow wanton is to feel the impulses. It's a Greek expression, meaning all that's involved in a marriage relationship. It is not a bad thing. He's not condemning it. He says the danger is that uh, under the grief of losing your mate, a young woman would mourn year, three, five, whatever, and say, you know, I'll never marry again, and so I'm going to give my self to God. And Paul said, later, natural feelings will come, given by God, good things, you'll want to marry, have children, and move on again. And he says, but if you've taken this vow, to do so would to break a vow. And you'd stood up in front of the church and said, I'm going to remain single for the rest of my life. Paul said, don't do that because you'll feel condemned, verse 12. Not damnation, but you'll feel guilt. And Romans 8 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the wonder of confessing our sins. There's no longer this feeling of guilt that's supposed to come over us. Having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. They would be feeling guilty, another translation says, of breaking their previous pledge. They made this pledge, and then they feel embarrassed about it, and they're, verse 13, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Too much time in their hands. Now, let me quickly say that in my experience, we guys like to tease women about talking too much and, and gossips and whatnot, but the truth is, I know more men that are gossips than women. So just so we level the playing field here and, and say that's not what Paul is talking about here, the danger is just as real. It's not gender specific. The word busybodies is one who moves around. The implication is you have too much time and you're prying into things you shouldn't be. When Thomas Edison, inventor more than a thousand patents, was asked how he resisted temptations, his answer was a good one. He said, I never have any because I don't have the time. He was busy enough, he kept himself, he built into his own life complexities that kept him busy so he wouldn't have too much idle time. Or as my grandmother was fond of saying, idle hands and idle minds are the devil's workshop. Then she would sometimes add, uh, if idle hands are the devil's workshop, then busy hands are God's toolbox. So stay busy is what this is suggesting. What I just quoted was, of course, not a scripture, even though I'm sure my grandmother thought it was because she said it so often. There's a lot of truth in it, okay? Verse 14, therefore I desire, summary statement, that younger widows marry. Just get married. It's fine. Bear children and manage the house and give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. You're still the childbearing age. Get married. Raise kids. Now, that is not a demeaning position in life at all. I'll say this calmly, but we live in a society, in a culture that has somehow demeaned raising children. It's the most important thing that any person, male or female, could do. 
tore yourself into a kid because it goes on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. So ladies, we support you, we salute you, we honor you, you are noble for having done that. Now there's one other phrase in here that gets a lot of bad press too, manage the house. Like somehow taking care of a house is a substandard or something. The book of Proverbs settles this. Here is the Bible's Old Testament view of a believing woman who takes care of her family. Listen, starting in verse 10. The wife of noble character, who can you find? She is worth more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like a merchant ship, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family, portions for her servant girl. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard and she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. This wife has an advanced degree in business, business administration. She has an MBA. She's doing foreign trading. She's buying real estate deals. This, this is the woman who manages a household from the biblical perspective. Again, ladies, Congratulations. Verse 15, the Bible honors you. For some have already turned aside to Satan. Uh, some young women have already fallen into this trap and make this commitment, this vow, and then they're embarrassed because later they want to get married. Not a loss of salvation, of course, but just this feeling guilty about breaking the vow. So then you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you don't come to church, and you find yourself slowly separated from God and the body of Christ. Verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows worthy, then let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened that they may relieve those who are really widows. So again, just a repeat of verse 4 through 8, but with the addition of women who have mothers or grandmothers. Do you have someone in your family who was a widow? It's your and my job to take care of them if they are unable to take care of themselves. And, of course, that's the reality of Social Security payments. They're very small, and we understand. It's difficult. I know. We just went through this in our family. Verse 17. Now he changes the subject to elders. Again, not older people, but people who are in some position in the church of leading. So it says, let the elders who lead, who do their job well, literally, be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the Word, who who teach doctrine, who teach the Bible well. This is an overseer or a pastor, an elder. They're called various things in Scripture. In Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas were presbyters. They're the Greek word, and it means elder. So they're a person who does this. You take on the junior high boys, sixth graders, then you've taken on a task and you should be honored. That's what this is saying. Thank God for those of you that do that in this church. And I'm thankful for pastors, assistant pastors, Bible study leaders, uh, women's groups, men's groups. We have board members here that are just astounding men of God. Most of them have been here since the church started. So we have a very 
competent group of people here, they're worthy of double honor. The blessings that they bring to this church that you only see the result of it are because these men have given a great amount of time and women to the various ministries they perform. Their double honor probably means uh, a double recognition. Some take this to be salary, others respect. Salary because the next verse speaks about wages. They're worth twice what they're paid is the point. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's giving us the biblical standard on what warrants double honor. With more on how we honor our elders and pastors from 1 Timothy 5 and verse 18, here's Pastor Ed. So here's an interesting verse. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the labor is worthy of his wages. Okay, first of all, notice that Paul says this is scripture. So you search through scripture and this first section is Deuteronomy 23, 4. You shall not muzzle an ox. And the picture is of an ox that's going around and trampling grain to break the heads off or pulling the sled and so wheat or oats or barley or something are broken off the stock. And you're not to muzzle your ox, so God is concerned about the animals and how we treat them and they should be able to eat. Walking around, grab a mouthful, keep on walking, grab another one. And the labor is worthy of his wages. This is a very interesting verse because Paul says it's scripture and it's not found in the Old Testament. This exact wording is found in two New Testament books, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10 and the Gospel of Luke. Why is that interesting? Because this is about 67 AD and modern so-called scholars would like to say that the Gospels didn't appear until much later. Some would suggest they didn't happen until the second century. Your baloney meter should go off because here, <laughs> Paul is quoting from either the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew, or maybe both. We know Luke traveled with him according to the book of Acts, and we believe, in fact, almost every theologian believes that Matthew was written first. So here we have a picture of Scripture being, the Gospels being read all over. So Paul just quotes them and expects Timothy to know and the people who he's working with. So that's the setup for Again, the elders, verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. This is the basis of our penal code that if you're on trial for your life for murder, unless we can come up with eyewitnesses, it's very difficult to convict anyone of the crime because it came from uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our Judeo-Christian background is embedded in our laws. And so here, if you have heard a rumor, we'll say, uh, about a elder in the church, a, a home Bible study leader or a pastor or anyone, make sure the person you're talking with was an eyewitness or you go back and check with the eyewitness. Just be careful. Now, the reason why Paul presses this so much is because it has been a problem in the church from the first century on. Pastors and Bible study leaders and people being accused of another motive and they leave the ministry. And there are so many that have left the ministry because they were accused of things they didn't do. 
So gotta have two or three eyewitnesses, and it has to be under the same process of Matthew 18. I'll just mention this and you go look it up. Matthew 18, 15 says, if somebody uh, is in sin, you go to them and you uh, have a conversation with them and you better make sure before you go that you, have, you were an eyewitness or you bring someone or someone who is an eyewitness goes to them first. Then if they say that's not true, then you better find a second eyewitness or a third. But having said that, it sometimes does happen. Those who are sinning, verse uh, 20, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. Now, the other side of the coin is that when there is really sin in leadership, then we are to deal with it. And in the many years of this church, um, there has been one. And it was a, a long time ago, and it was a assistant pastor who had an affair and was confronted and he did not repent and it's been many years and he still has not repented, although his uh, wife divorced him and I keep track of him because I keep praying for him that God would do something in his life and bring him back around to serving him. Verse 21, sad but true. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Wow, Paul calls in everybody on this one. Timothy, you have to do this, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. No prejudice. No honoring a person because they're some civic leader or they give a lot of money to the church or they're powerful in some other way. Uh, no prejudice against anyone. The Bible does not allow us to be prejudiced against any single person. And that, that's as strongly as I can say it and, and make it clear. All people must be treated equally. There it is. And uh, if you're struggling with prejudice, it's real simple. Confess it as sin. God, forgive me. Change my heart. I was influenced by whoever in my life, and I came in with prejudice. God, you got to change me. I'm a Christian now, and I need to think like you do. God is the respecter of no person. So let God change you. He will. He's, he's capable. Yeah. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. This is not about road rage. This is about uh, elders, uh, sharing other people's sins, keep yourself pure. He's talking about being careful to take time before you put somebody in a position of leadership and then make a mess. And you end up promoting them and your, their sin goes through the entire fellowship. Verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, this seems like it's out of place, but it actually fits this issue of elders. Timothy himself is the elder. Now, it seems that Timothy himself, by Paul's choice of words, was a total abstainer from wine. And he also had the problem of his stomach. You could read diarrhea. It was a polite statement, dysentery, your frequent infirmities. And so, Notice it says, don't just drink water. No, background, first century, no water standards. Nobody's testing the water for coliforms, a technical name for human pathogens that are found in drinking water. And yes, there's a standard, and yes, all water in America does have some. Doesn't make you feel very good about drinking tap water, does it? Me either, okay. So he's telling him, to use a little wine. Now, what's interesting to me, this is the first century. Nobody knows anything about bacteria. 
Nobody has any idea that it, in the water, there's an organism that's alive. Read H. pylori, you know, the, the bug that causes ulcers, E. coli that causes, you know, dysentery, or salmonella. And today we avoid those by not eating at Chipotle or fish tacos in Ensenada. <laughs> couldn't resist, sorry. <laughs> but in that day, Paul says, pour some alcohol in the water. Huh just so happens that those three organisms, the most common in dysentery, are killed by alcohol. Whoa, how did God know that? <laughs> he kind of like wrote the book, <laughs> like created everything. So that's interesting. Something else interesting here, we don't really have time for all of it, but who wrote this? Paul, the apostle. Paul, who was famous for people taking his sweatbands, according to the book of Acts, so they could take it and touch it to someone who's sick who got healed. Paul is saying, Timothy, go take some medicine. Now I get asked often by people to say, Am I, do I have a lack of faith by going to the doctor? Of course not. Do I have a lack of faith by taking medication? Of course not. Paul is recommending the medication of the day for Timothy. But Paul also didn't say, Timothy, what's wrong with your faith? You just need a little more faith, buck up, boy. No, he didn't. He said, go take the medicine. You see, it's God who gives the gift of healing, not Paul, not any person. And I'm sure he, he said he prayed for Timothy, but God had not chosen to heal this area. So by all means, trust medication. You come and ask me for prayer, I'll pray for you, and I'll say something like, Lord, heal this person. If you use medicine, we'll praise you. If you use a doctor, we'll praise you. If you do it supernaturally, we'll praise you, but heal this person. And then all avenues are open, right? Verse 24, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but of some men follow later. And, and that goes into the next verse. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those who are otherwise cannot be hidden. Judgment is a scary term, right? Christian elementary school, and they have a cafeteria, and the kids are all waiting in line to go, you know, you went through the whole cafeteria thing, right? One of the workers had put a sign on a big bowl of apples, and the sign said, take only one, God is watching. Same school I went to. And then you work your way all along, and at the end of the line, there was a huge plate of chocolate chip cookies, and one of the little kids had taken an afternoon written on it, take all you want, God's watching the apples. <laughs> not true okay god is watching not apples and cookies he's watching our lives all right but here's the good news romans 4 7 blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sin is covered blessed is the man or woman to whom the lord shall not impute sin Thank God that he came and died on the cross for us. Nobody has to carry around guilt. There's a gift of grace, forgiveness that's available, mercy to any person. Just say, Lord, give me mercy. Okay, close with a quote from Cal Thomas. He was a strong believer, and he wrote about leading well in a church that he went to. In a church I once attended, there was a man of tremendous faith, his wife an alcoholic, his daughter with deep psychological problems. He was often poor in health himself, yet week after week he never complained and he always smiled and asked me how I was doing. He faithfully brought to church a young blind man 
who had no transportation. He always sat with the young blind man, helping him sing the hymns by saying the words into his ear. That man was a Christian leader, an elder, if ever there was one. God has called us to show his love to other people, to make it a reality for someone who would not see God except through you. Isn't that exciting that you could be God's instrument of love, making a difference in the lives of those around you? Today on Grow in Grace, we brought you a portion of Pastor Ed's study in First and Second Timothy. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me. 